Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, this podcast is brought to you by Podbean, an all-in-one podcast publishing and hosting platform. Podbean offers the easiest way to get started in podcasting. Side note, this is also what our guest today uses for his podcast. So Podbean, uh, easy way to get started in podcasting as well as enhanced features and monetization to take your podcast to the next level. Podbean's mobile app for Android and the old iPhone allows podcasters to record and publish podcasts right from their phone. So uh, if you're interested in getting your message out, if you're interested in finding a way to connect your message with an audience out there, try Podbean. Uh, it takes care of you, it takes care of me, and it is a simple, affordable way for churches and religious organizations and leaders to share their message. Now, on to the message of Brother Rob Bell. Is your headphones up next to working? Check one, two. Oh, you sound, you sound beautiful. Check one, two. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. We are again in California with our friend Rob Bell. Welcome back, <laughs> Rob. Good to be back with you. Yeah, uh, and we're in California. I, uh, I think I read your book, and there's a couple Chipotle references, so put like Chipotle in my heart, so I ate it for lunch just across the street. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I was paying for my meal, and uh, I said, thank you, ma'am, appreciate it. And she goes, do you work around here? And I was like, lady, I just said thank you, ma'am. What makes you think I'm from right around here? Do a lot of people say thank you, ma'am, around here? Well, L.A., People came here to make it from Texas and Indiana uh-huh. and Alabama so, uh, and Ohio. So it would, so that would not be weird to have somebody say thank you, ma'am. Okay. Because there's probably a hundred thousand people from Texas here. Okay. Well, you know Matthew McConaughey lives in Austin and in Malibu. So all right, all right, all right. I know. And so I just want to channel my my inner Matthew McConaughey and <laughs> you know respect Texas. So yeah, man, it's good being back out here. This is like the fifth. Like you are the most episodes ever by a Californian on the podcast. <laughs> you know, if you, if you set to mind yourself, if you set your mind to something, you can, you can do, accomplish all sorts of things. You know, I, and this really is a big accomplishment. I think you should be really proud of that. So well done on that. <laughs> I, uh, I love the book. I got the mail and it's, uh, okay, I started reading on Monday after you emailed me because I have a few other books I need to read and you said, let's do this. And I thought, okay, let's read this. And uh, I, I feel like there is um, like a tax that youth ministers need to give you for every time that they used a NUMA video on a Wednesday night when they didn't have anything to say. And they're like, okay, we're going to watch a NUMA video again. Um, I don't know how that works. Like, I think Zondervan probably should be recouping some money from those churches, like at least 8% of their budget, like the youth ministry budget. I feel like this one's going to have the same effect because there's just like, hey, I'm going to read a text to you. We're going to do some interpretation and application to it. And I don't know, like... Uh, I feel like pastors are going to be like, all right, I, I owe you some extra money on this. Like, I don't know what the charge is on it, but it's going to be like, there needs to be residual. That's what I'm saying, residuals. Is there a way you can work that in with Harper One? Uh, well, I'm, apparently, I haven't, uh, apparently I have now a spokesperson who's going to do that for me in, in you. <laughs> I, f- I feel like we could do some stuff on this. I don't know what your agent's doing, but I feel like we could do more. Anyway, I, I am trying to infect people. Okay, infect people, really? Yeah, That's, yeah. Okay. Plant some, yeah. I, you need to read it better because it's a way, way, way better library of books mm-hmm. than anybody realizes. And so uh, 
a sermon about the Bible is troubling, mm-hmm. a book about the book that is just telling you how awesome it is, not interesting. So, so from the beginning, I wanted to simply read it with the reader. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, let's read this. Um, because just talking about it or trying to change attitudes about the Bible, that just will never really work unless you show them, hey, there's this thing about Moses having an erection. Hey, who paid Jesus' bills? Hey, actually, there's something else going on in the story about Noah and the flood. Yeah. Um, and over time, ideally, in this book, people pick up, oh, like all the main, there's something more going on here. Yeah. And then you can't read it the same way again. So you go almost story after story that you're talking about it, you apply it, and it's almost like at first there's seemingly like no order to it. There's just like story after story after story after story. I'm assuming you had something in the back of your head as to why. It's almost like a shotgun effect. Yeah, I wanted it. I specifically wanted the book to be all over the place mm-hmm. because I wanted it had to have a kinetic sort of energy to it. Like you're being caught up in something like a tornado of sorts. Um, I, I want you in its swirling energies and I want you losing any template of read passage, make observation. I wanted you uh, doing callbacks, which is why that Abraham thing keeps coming. Then sometimes there's parentheses, followed by parentheses, followed by parentheses. So even structurally, the architecture of the pages, I wanted you being like, wait, I think we've touched on that earlier. So it starts to loop back in on itself. Yeah. Um, or like when a comedian references a joke from earlier in the set, like a callback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted it all to start feeling to you like it was surrounding you and all these different things were talking to each other hmm. and that there was a forward movement. There was an arc and a trajectory. And yet within that trajectory, there was all this room to move around because I wanted it. It's almost like I wanted the book architecturally to reflect how the Bible is. That's deep um, right there. Because the editors are arranging this material intentionally, but there are other spots where you're like, no, apparently all the things in First Kings that aren't reported here were recorded in the annals of the king of whoever. I, I don't know what that is. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, and you, you intentionally, uh, the editors of these stories, they're, they're throwing you off here and there. They're giving you clues, hints. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's amazing. That's, okay, that's so amazing. You, you just said that there's more to it than what we often see in, in the text. Like, why do we miss that? What is, okay, there's more going on in the story. Is it just because we're 2,000 years removed and the, the ability to traverse back into that culture is so arduous? Well, you think about uh, Noah and the story of the ark and the flood. There were lots of flood stories. It's yeah. obviously basic historical thing. Lots of cultures told flood stories. Mm-hmm. So you think there's no Google images. There's no satellite photography. There's no weather reports. You in the ancient Near East have flash floods that wash through and wipe out all kinds of things. So you can see why people told floods and you can see why people like we do now tried to explain why things happen to you in the world. Um, so flood stories were what humans have been doing for thousands of years, telling stories to try to make sense of things, mm-hmm. specifically tragedy, drama, natural disaster, mm-hmm. however you want to say it. Um, so, and in most of the flood stories, it was understood that the gods are judging us, which, which you can see how the ancient mind would go, somebody somewhere is pretty pissed. Yeah. Because swirling water racing through here and wiping away my livestock. That sucks. Someone yeah, must be angry. Good. So if you read it in, in, in how the world was, 
in those stories, the gods are obviously angry and then the flood story finishes with the gods wiping everybody out. So the story of Noah is fascinating because it ends with a God who says, I'm not gonna do that again. Mm-hmm. Let's live in peace. This was a new idea in human history. The gods basically are angry and you are doing whatever it takes to appease them. This story is about an evolving human consciousness. This story proposes the idea that the divine and the human could live together in harmony. This is a brand new idea mm-hmm. at some level in human history. So you just, just like, that's like the two minute version of reading the story as the first people who heard the story would have heard it, or as the first people who told it found it worth telling, Mm -hmm. now you have a very different, interesting story. And now the Sunday school sort of, were there really two animals? All the ridiculous debates and discussions, you actually see them then as distractions from the power and enduring resonance of the story. This is not a story about uh, zoology, this is about a growing human awareness of all of creation and its intricately interlinked yeah. dependencies. Yeah, it's so much better. That's why there's no appendix with an actual diagram of how the animals would have each fit in there. Well, you think about how some of those discussions then are, are so absurd. And people would say that they were upholding the whatever of the Bible the authority of the Bible, by it, it says it, it happened, and that's how it happened. What a wonderful way to avoid the very real implications of the story is a divine and human living in harmony, caring for the earth in a sustainable way. Yeah. Um, so you said there's a difference of having the attitude that the Bible says it, therefore it's true, compared to it's true, therefore it's in the Bible. Yeah, yeah so the first question is, the first question you always begin with is, why did people tell this story? Mm-hmm. Like, why did, why did it mean something to people? What do we know about their world that this would be something worth writing down, editing together? Also, a lot of it even started with the oral tradition. So why did this oral tradition? Mm-hmm. Of all the stories around the campfire, how come this one endured? What was it? What did it say about what it means to be human? Mm-hmm. What did it say about loss, despair, uh, hope, uh, cultivation, empire, violence. Like, what did this, why did this story do something to people? Well, then how, how does someone get to that answer? Because it seems like it would be pretty problematic to think that, Joe Blow, I'm going to sit down, open my Bible, and I'm going to say, this is what's happening here. <laughs> right, right, I understand right. it. Right, right, right. Besides reading this new book entitled, What is the Bible? <laughs> uh, how, how, do we, how do we do that? Well, I've seen this lots of times when people are like, wait, there's this whole world I'm sort of getting a glimpse of. First off, like in the back of the book, I just list all these interesting books. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like really accessible. There are thousands of very accessible books that are fascinating that can illuminate things. So I've, I've seen uh, just the kinds of people who listen to your podcast, like those of us who aren't brainiacs, who somehow have the whole thing memorized in Hebrew. This is all very accessible, and mm-hmm. it's not hard just mm-hmm. to enjoy. And then when, when you think about the overall arc of sacred history, when you think about what it means to be human and to have a soul and spirit, Obviously, if this was accessible in a four-minute People magazine article, yeah. um, 
everything in life that's interesting takes time. Yeah. I, I, you know what I mean? Yeah. I like, like this idea that like Joe Blow wants to become a, an Olympic gymnast. He just knows that would take a while. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or he wants to like, yeah. he wants to re-landscape his entire backyard. That's going to take a few Saturdays. Yeah. You're gonna so then this guy's like, I'm going to pick up a thousands of year old document that has brought millions of people healing, comfort, joy, provocation. Um, and I'm just going to, why shouldn't I just be able to read it? Because then it, <laughs> That's you know a, what I mean? Yeah. So sometimes you just have to go, yeah, because things that matter take time. I live in Austin, Texas, and uh, the biggest competing religion that I have to deal with is University of Texas football. And I, in a sermon, intentionally misspoke about the order of starting quarterbacks for the Texas Longhorns. Intentionally. I love it. I came back 15 minutes later, and I said, I know some of you are, are, are upset right now because I said that out of order. And like, there was like audible groans. Like, yeah. yeah. And so Monday after that, I show up in my office. There is a eight-page printout of the genealogy of the University of Texas quarterbacks, and there's a thumb drive in case I wanted it in electronic form as well. And I saved it because there's a 100% chance I'm going to use that in a sermon at some point. Like, I'm just waiting to use that. But we know that much about the University of Texas starting quarterbacks, and we know that much about the Game of Thrones, and we know that much about you know, fill in the blank. <laughs> we're, we're used to putting some time in, so we can do that, I think, you know, with God. Don't you think? <laughs> or you think about the number of people who completely lost their minds the day after our most recent presidential election with, are we going to be okay? Are we going to make it? What's going to happen? Mm-hmm. When people have had bizarre, unexpected turns of events in their political leadership Thousands and thousands and thousands of times this has happened in human history. Yeah. So just, oh yeah, hey, by the way, you're not the first. <laughs> That's not a hard truth yeah. to access. Yeah, you're not the first. Yes. That's, yeah, okay, that's good. Um, in the book, it seems like you described the two readers for this that maybe you're kind of going after. And you, one, you had the person who said that I've, you're interested right now what I'm going to say. I can see it in your yeah, face. You're like, fascinating. Tell me who I was trying to write to, Luke. <laughs> Do some psychology on me. Um, so you said there is the person who grew up and the way that they were taught to read the Bible doesn't work anymore. And then there's another, right after you say, or maybe you grew up in a world that you had it all figured out and you had basically like a materialist view of the world, that it's just what you see, but somehow your experience in life doesn't fit into that parameter. Oh, interesting. And so it yeah. can't be just material, and it can't be the way that some of us grew up reading the Bible, and that the, the Bible doesn't fit that understanding of the Bible, and the world doesn't fit that understanding of the world. Oh, nice. You, it's your, there's a, like I have it, oh. it's, it's your book. Like I appreciate it. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I just like the way you summarize that. That's good. Okay, well, you can, you can put it. I don't have a finalized version of the book, so if you want to edit that in... That's cool, man. That's really good. Okay, but when you think of those like two groups of people, and so you have one person who's read the Bible the whole time, and maybe they're not reading as you would say the right altitude, and so they're missing some stuff. And then there's another view, like group of people who are reading the world and saying there can't be a spiritual component to this, and that doesn't fit. Like how you got a, a smirk on your face? I'm wondering what you're thinking right now as I'm trying to finish this question. That's a great question. Keep going. Okay. So what is the Bible? I I think we answered the the first one about the people who 
had a simplistic view of the Bible. Okay, there's more to this. Mm, mm-hmm. To the other group of people, it seems like you're trying to say, no, the Bible's not archaic, it's not outdated, it's progressive, it's going forward. How does that connect? Your, your smile is jacking me up on this question right now. I love it. I oh, love it. How? <laughs> you just talk. I'm, I'm not going to... No, I love it. No, this is fun. No, this is not how it's going to I don't work. know why I'm looking at that. I love how you're, you're phrasing it. No, it's I love it. See, <laughs> when you write something and you're sitting there alone day after day after day, what you're, and you're sort of giving it shape and form and then you let it loose in the world. Mm-hmm. The reason why I'm smiling is it's so much fun when somebody engages with it, interacts with it, and then has a bunch of questions about it. So that's why I'm loving you picking this up, making these connections. Like it's just thoroughly enjoyable. Okay, well, I... Otherwise, you're just typing. You're like typing in the dark. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I'm going to send this out into the world. Who knows what this is? Because you, you don't know. There are no guarantees. So go keep going. That's what the smile is. Okay. Well, really enjoying this. I'm, I'm glad that uh, you're enjoying that I enjoy the book. And so this is, <laughs> this is a terrible question. I don't even know how to get back on, on point at this. Um, but I'm glad that your writing feels validated. Um, it should. I mean, it's, whatever. I don't even have a question. This you're rattled. Like, I love it. You got me. I think what you're asking is why would somebody in the modern world care about an ancient library okay, well, of books? Why, you keep going back to this is, a, this is, this is more progressive. Oh, yeah. And is the critique you're trying to go against that the Bible's outdated, it's archaic, it's it's Well, first off, it's very important to understand that these were brand new ideas for their day. Mm -hmm. These were giant leaps forward. Secondly, a lot of things in the Bible were still not there. So when it talks about love of enemy, we're not there. Central to the Bible, the entire narrative, you think what's the second command in the Bible, if you want to read it that way, is caring for the earth. Mm -hmm. So it's assumed throughout the Bible that for humans to thrive, that central to any vibrant spiritual vision for life would be a proper relationship with the soil. Mm -hmm. And that economics, violence, blessing, are all deeply interwoven with a proper relationship with the soil. Mm-hmm. So let the land lie fallow for a year is, is about agriculture, but it's about economics. It's about rest. Mm-hmm. Um, so like you have the exile where Jerusalem is, is captured, destroyed. People are hauled away to Bab- Babylon. And one of the prophets says, you know why you ended up in exile. Do you know why your government and your economy and your culture was decimated because you didn't let the land lie fallow. You didn't give the land its rest. Hmm. So you have thousands of years ago prophets saying, if you don't live in a sustainable way with the soil, there will be devastating cultural, economic, government, uh, relational destruction that Mm -hmm. will happen. Yeah. Well, what is in the news almost every day right now? Carbon emissions, climate change, um, polluted rivers, the water in Flint. Yeah. So part of the power of this ancient library of poems, letters, and stories is, oh, we've been here before. Yeah. And that alone, that alone can do wonders. Oh, people, these these. Things that we often think nobody's ever been here before. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we have. They have. Yeah. 
And that was, I think, your question. I think your, your question was headed towards what about people like, why would I ever bother with an ancient book? To which I would just respond, are we alone? Hmm. Are we right now as a species totally alone? All we have is each other right now and whatever we can Google. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Or are there vast resources of thousands of years of human wisdom about some of this? And in some ways, people are high on the fumes of modernism, which is nobody knew anything till now. We're so far ahead of everybody. Yeah. Really? Because, uh, really, so people are able to maintain long-term relationships well? Uh, really, so we have a proper relationship with the soil? Really, so we don't have a growing gap between the rich and the poor? Like, part of the thing the Bible does also in all of our incredible advancements and enlightenment is go, uh, you also have a dark side. Yeah. And all your technology has done wonderful things. It also has added to the burdens of the world. How do you hold that tension of, we're not new, we're not alone, we still yeah. have the same issues. We have these like, foundational issues that have plagued humanity since the beginning. Yes. But also, if I understand your understanding, it's always we're, we're going somewhere, we're going forward. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting, like you think about, uh, have you ever read Deschardins? There's uh, a French yeah, yeah, paleontologist who um, talked about the the art. It's the whole thing is headed. He called it an omega point. Yeah. Um, is all of history actually headed somewhere? Because it's growing in complexity, unity, mm-hmm. and depth. Yeah. Um, and it raises all these fascinating questions. Like, is is it just a flat line? Because what is it? Thirteen point eight billion years ago, you have a big bang. You have these subatomic particles. They begin to bond and form atoms. Atoms begin to bond and form molecules. Molecules begin, like, the whole thing is actually unfolding. Becoming is the natural state of the universe. It is a, it is a dynamic reality, not a static reality. And that uh, affects everything. So a lot of people are looking for a frozen, just tell me how it is. Well, it's unfolding. So uh, is it right or wrong? Well, there's earlier and later sometimes. It's maybe, sometimes maybe a better way to answer certain questions. So you do, you... <laughs> <laughs> I got a sweet head tilt on that one. That you was, were like, wait, what? But that was not a yes or no. <laughs> okay, your, your theology is like, we're moving forward, we're progressing, but also we aren't... And we're also going backwards. Yeah. And we're also, it's, all, it's also three steps back I, at the same time. Okay, I've gone back and forth on this question. I've had different people say, oh, Omega Point, we're going forward, this, we're yeah. progressing. Others say, we're just as bad as we are. To, you know, right, right, right. That's the ago. great tension. Yeah, and you have to like, hold those at the same time. I would say you hold, you hold one in one hand and one in the other. So in the future, if someone asks me, I'm just going to say, mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> like just because I, I don't think there's an answer. I mean, well, you, you think about truth. If you're bumping up against truth, it'll probably be paradoxical. It'll probably contain multiple things that are true at the same time. <laughs> so that's sort of a general rule. Um, when, and when people talk about God or the divine, same thing, you're, you're probably going to find a number of things that sit side by side. Hmm. That which is known and unknown, that which is near, but also has a farness, that which is both intimate and cosmic, yeah. um, you'll probably end up in some polarity or paradox. And that's important. That's, that's good. important to keep in mind, yeah. Especially use the word polarity. That's a really good so, word. So going back to think about progress, 
lots and lots of things that people never, uh, obviously spousal abuse, domestic abuse now is something you can end up in jail for a really, really long time. Whereas not that many generations ago, your, your wife was property. So there are all these ways that you can just track. Yeah, we have like, we've made a lot of progress on that issue, but without, and thank God that right now, this place that we're in that, that doesn't have two drinking fountains, one for people of one skin color, one for, yeah. for people of another. So in the moment that you, also, that you affirm, look how far we've come, you have to then also affirm, and we still have a long way to go. And so if you just hold one in one hand and one in the other, look how far we've come, wow, we have a long way to go. Hmm. And the interesting thing about the Bible is it's leapfrogging all over the place. So it's showing you what it looks like when things move forward, and... It's showing you, wow, look at how people used to think about things. Whew, that's brutal. But it also is showing you things that we aren't at yet. <laughs> we're not mm-hmm. there yet. A tribe that exists for the benefit of all other tribes, we're not there. Uh, and that's from the very beginning. Yeah, exactly. So you have ideas to Abraham. You, your tribe will bless all the other tribes. A tribe that doesn't exist simply for its own preservation, but exists to bless all the other tribes. That, that is... You know what I mean? Yeah, we're not there yet. I know. But, okay, so you tell a story about a, um, and I quote, a fancy pants pastor. <laughs> is that referring to a certain type of pant that he's actually wearing, or is that more like just a descriptor of the- Um One of the intentional things I try to do in the book is add strange words that I probably wouldn't even say, like fancy pants made me laugh. Well, I, I think so. What I tried to do, it's different. And there's, there's a story about a, a blue Volvo, and the the smoking fire pot story, where a guy yeah. agrees to buy a blue Volvo, and there's a guy in Larry in the airport who has a thing about the hair dryers. Yeah. Um, the the blue Volvo, the guy drives off and doesn't give the yeah, keys. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I don't understand what you're saying. He gave me the keys. Um, yeah. Some of Let's that go is back to the like. I don't want you to, to skirt this question. Uh, that was a wardrobe reference I just did there. Um, <laughs> You're not trying to be offensive to pastors who have good pants. Like, I don't want my oh, listeners no, no. who are... Oh, no, because if I was talking about that, I'd be talking about trousers. Exactly. You're right. Fancy pants is something very different than trousers. Okay, but there are totally fancy different. pants, then there's trousers. You know what's at the apex of it, though? Britches. Mm, I'll spot you one more. Okay. Slacks. <laughs> particularly a particular brand of slacks called Sansa belts from the French without a belt. <laughs> okay. All right. That's the pinnacle of pants. But actually, but I intentionally in the book, there are weird, uh, I wanted the book to have things popping mm-hmm. um, because I wanted, because I wanted it to have elements. I wanted you to feel the, the biblical th- thing where where words are popping yeah and they're throwing you off and just when you're like okay now i see where the all of a sudden there's a callback yeah and just when you're like oh i see where this is going wait what um that's that's all intentional you're trying to make it pop like the bible which is the same reason i have a pair of salmon color plant pants that i occasionally wear because i want to make it biblical and the sermon to pop same reason exact same rationale Okay, uh, <laughs> like we're talking about the fancy pants pastor, FPP is what we call him from now on. Um, you have this back and forth with him. Oh, right, right, right. You, you remember FPP, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And he doesn't, I assume it's a he, um, he doesn't see that there's a trajectory of like this, play, this thing is going somewhere. 
that the Bible's going, there's an arc, there's a trajectory that Mm -hmm. it's going towards. If one of his parishioners showed up and said, all right, Mr. Bell, teach me about this trajectory. I want to know how this thing's going somewhere. Oh, FPP has not taught me about the trajectory. Oh, yeah. Well, I would start, I would probably start not with it's going somewhere and more with when you read a passage in the Bible, ask yourself what came before it, what came after it, what is it in the flow of? Mm-hmm. So, uh, like if you read something in Leviticus and Numbers, Deuteronomy. Mm-hmm. Okay, wait, wait. These people were slaves. They're rescued from slavery and brought out into the wilderness. They uh, have to learn to be human again because they know how to be slaves. So anybody's ever been in a toxic relationship and then they get out of it, and then they get in a relationship that's healthy, and they'll say something like, I'm having to learn how to be with somebody who can, like when they say they're going to be there at six, they're there at six. It's like a new phenomenon. Yeah. Or like you work in an office space that's just a mess, then you go work at some other place, and you're like, oh, wait, um, everybody actually fills out the reports here. And people, what, what it is is I'm having to learn <laughs> how to be in an office again. I'm having to learn how to be in a relationship Again, so what's really interesting about Ten Commandments, in some ways, Ten Commandments are, here's how to be human. Mm -hmm. Um, Because these people know enslavement, they don't know freedom. Um, And so when you read those books, read them through the lens of how do you form a new kind of people? What does it look like? Yeah. Um, So that's what, and like developmentally then, um, oh, so, so take one day a week. In, in Egypt, your worth and value comes from how many bricks you produce. Mm-hmm. So now that you're free, take one day a week and do no work so that you're reminded that your worth and value do not come from how many bricks you produce. Yeah. And remember, I brought you out of Egypt like on the wings. Uh, grace, grace. Yeah. Remember that grace is how the thing works. Hmm. So now when people pull... So, so then when people, so you can pull verses and, and make them say anything. And so I would begin with a technical term of static appropriation, which is simply you just remove a passage in isolation and then just drop it down in a conversation. Yeah, but it says here that da, 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 what was happening, where, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, that can rescue you from all sorts of horrific abuses. Yeah, that's good. And readings that just aren't that interesting. Yeah. But the, what's the story? What's going on? What happened before? What happened yeah. after? The Exodus story. That's a great story. You know what? I would think it's a really good story to do for Lent ever if you're like preaching and then you talk about the idea of leaving stuff behind. <laughs> like that, that, that's a really great idea. That just came Where'd you get to that me. idea? I don't you know. just came up with that. Yeah, stuff I did. just comes to you. It just falls out of the sky. It does. But I would say, um, like you were going back to what about the person how does Joe Schmo do this? This would be a classic example where when you're reading the Bible and you find yourself thinking, what, I'm completely lost. Joe Schmo, who you mentioned, is like, how, who hasn't learned Greek or whatever it is. Joe Schmo can be like, what happened before this? What happened after this? Mm-hmm. What is this in the flow? Where are we in the larger story? Oh, we're in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. Like Joe Schmo can pick that up in three minutes. Yeah. Oh, got it. Okay. Well, that didn't help me a little understand. What's going on here? Or, for example, most of the flood stories, the gods wiped everybody out, and that's how the story ended. Oh, so this story ends with like, 
like relationship, peace, harmony. Like Joe Schmo can get that. Yeah. I had uh, an outstanding conversation a couple weeks ago. There was uh, a lady who showed up at our church. She, uh, uh, she's Chinese, had never heard anything about Jesus. Shows up at our church somehow. And she's in, in our office. I'm coming out of a meeting. And, oh, hi, oh, yeah, nice to meet you. And uh, she says, what is, um, like, what is Easter about? And I was like, like there, uh, yeah. there is a complete blank slate. And right. I was like. She put the ball on the tee. I was like, there, just like the, the eunuch like, ba- getting baptized, of like, there's a dry erase board and some markers. Let's do this thing. And so I just mapped out the whole story and go, okay, this, is, this, this thing is a part of a big piece, okay? And so everything we're talking about is the story of God's redemption. And it was the most fun I've had in the last six months doing ministry. Just going like, there is a, let's, let's put this in context of what happened before and after and how it's all going somewhere. So it's good. It's fun. I, I think the story's important. Um, all right. You have a line in your book about um, sometimes our, like our commitment to what God has done or our religious convictions prevent us from going where God wants to take us in the future. Oh, yeah. And so you tie this to the, uh, there's an accent factor. Yes, that, that, is a, <laughs> that is an East Texas pronunciation of sheet, um, what you just did there, from Acts 10. Uh, the story about, Mel- I think Melchizedek, you kind of had the same read on that as well. Like this, I think you tie that. Anyway, the sheet factor for sure is going that direction. Um, obviously back then, there's a thing about unclean and clean animals that we don't get today. But that same concept is so still happening to us today where... Although, the, although right out here, our whole series of kosher... This is the Jewish section of town here. Just, I just so you probably that out. noticed tried, all the kosher delis right out the front and the butchers right across yeah, the street. Yeah, I tried to park there, and someone said, that's not... And I said, I'm going here. And he goes, where's that? And I said, I, I don't, it's open space. And he thought that was like a metaphor, like I'm going to an open <laughs> space. And I said, what is this parking lot for? And he goes, this kosher restaurant. Okay, well, good for you. I'm, I need to leave. Um, I just said okay, Chipotle. Okay, so uh, Acts 10. You're asking about Acts 10. Yes, I was. About clean and unclean. Keep going. No, I'm, I'm asking, how do we continue to do the same thing? That oh, right, right. Yes, it's a great story because uh, Peter has, he falls into a trance. Interesting, by the way, how many times in the scriptures people are in altered states. When, of course, you're saying that because you live in California. Ever but isn't that interesting out how often of it'll course. mention, fell into a dream, in a trance, um, saw a vision, mm-hmm. heard a voice, um, very trans-rational or sub-rational or super-rational um, is how oftentimes people hear what they need to hear to begin to move forward into new understandings. You wouldn't be saying this if you still lived in Michigan. It's all this marijuana. I was saying this when I lived in all Michigan. All this marijuana is changing you. That's what I'm saying. It's in the air. That's why you're talking this way. Did you, you, by the way, did you see the Supreme line out front? Is it, it is in the air. Did you see the line? <laughs> the Supreme? I watched, um, yeah. So I'm actually a little bit high because of that. So <laughs> thank There's you. some strong stuff out there on the sidewalk. Um, but what's really interesting is Peter has this vision in which he's, told to take and eat and he's like no no i won't Um, but then it turns into this metaphor for go to the house of a roman which he would never do because he comes from a very particular religious tradition that was like you don't go into the house of somebody who's considered unclean according to us Mm -hmm. Um, what's interesting is peter in the story argues i would never do that he argues with the god voice Essentially, like, God, I would never do what you're telling me to do because of my, <laughs> God, I would never do 
what you're asking me to do because of my fidelity to you. Yeah. <laughs> so it's his convictions, his religious convictions are in the way of him moving, growing, expanding, mm-hmm. um, doing the next thing he's here to do. So it's just a beautiful story of how people can become entrenched and in the name of their God, actually be going the opposite direction. So what's the flaw of the person who says, let's just go back to the first century and do church like they did back then? Oh, yeah, yeah. Because you'll sometimes hear that. We need to be like the church. Um, Because it's a misunderstanding of space. You're not there. You're here. Mm -hmm. And spirit invites you here to listen and then move and act. So we're just trying to get back. You are the one where people were falling over dead. You want to go back there? Mm -hmm. Um, You aren't there. You are here in this culture at this time that has its dominant energies and metaphors and conflicts and challenges. And you are invited. uh, God's looking for a body. God always has been looking for a body. Uh, So you are invited to put some flesh and blood on this. Here and now. Uh, and the specific application of the Peter story is that it's including more people into the bigger story. Yeah, well, what's interesting is the movement in scriptures is always to inclusion. It's always more expansive. Oh, you! it's always people making line, drawing lines about who's in and who's out, mm-hmm. and then spirit raises somebody up who says, uh, no, mm-hmm. no, it's everybody. It's everybody. So it, it happens early on, like the story gets particularized in Abram, mm-hmm. Genesis 12. By Genesis 14, Abraham's coming back from a battle and meets Melchizedek, who's the king who blesses him. Yeah, that's weird. And he's a priest of the Most High God. So right away, the story is particular. This is how the thing is unfolding, through this man and his tribe. Oh, by the way, a guy shows up out of nowhere who happens to be the priest of Most High God. Mm-hmm. So right away, the, the editors, the storytellers, want you to see that whatever human construct you create, about these are the righteous, these are the in, these are the elect, these are the chosen, these are the mm-hmm. kosher, religious, Christian, approved, orthodox, whatever boundary you create, the divine will blast that boundary to shreds. And so it starts early on, and then it never stops. So some of the things people will often say is, why would I read a book about one religion and one group of people? Because the insistent drumbeat of that particular story is universal. Yeah. Because the divine needs flesh and blood. The universal has to be particularized in order to boomerang back to the universal. Yeah. So you and I can talk, we love, we just need to include everybody... We just need to be embracing. We just need to be accepting. Give me a story about somebody accepting and embracing and loving somebody who's not like them. You know what I mean? Yeah. It needs, you need a story. So what's interesting about this ancient library of poems, letters, and stories is in its particularization, it's always universal and cosmic. So even you have the, the Jesus story on the cross. The cross was always understood in cosmic dimensions. Some people are like, he died for you and your sins. Uh, actually, the story is about the healing of the whole universe. It's, it is a cosmic story that you are caught up in, mm-hmm. as opposed to you just need to feel really guilty because of all the things he did for you. Uh, the story is about the universe. 
It's bigger than that. And you are invited into something that's as wide as the universe. Yeah. It's just a better, it's a better, bigger story. And it's something you can actually get caught up in. Good Lord, that was a long... That was a good one. We were on fire there. That was good. Uh, do you still like stories? Because I have a story I was going to tell you. <laughs> um, last time we talked, you liked stories. I'm going to continue with one. Um, <clears throat> This is probably a year and a half ago. Uh, your friend, uh, one Peter Holmes, mm-hmm. was in Dallas, and uh, you introduced us. And so I did a podcast with him. And it was, I recorded, it was like 12.30 on the night in which I was leaving the church that I started. So it was like my last Sunday of my church. I was like, oh, I'll spend that the night before at a comedy club with your friend Peter. And so afterwards, uh, he and his friend Brent Sullivan, do you know Brent? Have you met Brent? He was, he opened for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I like that guy. He's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, Well, they need a ride back to the hotel they're staying. And so I was giving him a ride back. And somehow we got in the discussion of stand-up comedy for some reason. Maybe it's because that's what they do for a living. And I said, yeah, I've always been interested in that. And then Peter said, you know, you should go try some open mics. And I thought, I think that's a terrible idea. And he goes, yeah, like, you know how to talk to people. It's your job to talk in front of people. You should try it. And so I did. Like this room right here kind of looks like some of the comedy clubs I went to in Austin. And I love it. Well, I don't know if you'd have said that if you heard my first How couple of sets. How long were the sets? Uh, three to four minutes for the open mics that I went to. And the first two or three uh, I went to, they were train wrecks. Like I, I tried to do like the best of sermon jokes that I have, like sermon stories that are kind of yeah. funny that I, I could take to any like university setting and I know they'll, they'll kill. I try and I just bombed. Yeah, and so I emailed uh, Brent on the way home after my third one. It was downtown Austin Sixth Street. Did and I was just train wreck. And I, dude, I, I'm terrible at this. I need to never do this again. He goes, "Hey, we all start that way." And I said, "You know, because of that, Brent, I'm going to put a good word in for God for you." And so I'll, I'll see if I can get you into heaven. When, and uh, I said, and then I said, um, one asterisk, my entire life and this promise might be built on one big lie. So just take it with a grain of salt because I might be wrong in this one. And he responds back and he goes, you should open with that. I was like, what? He goes, that, that, the, the joke about you could be wrong is you're a preacher, that's funny. And up until then, I never said anything about being a preacher. And as soon as I started talking about being a preacher and like being like honest about the, the fact that like my whole life is built on something that I can't prove, like I, I think I have four decent minutes that I feel like I could take and use now. Did I, you do it? Did yeah, you do I've, that? Done, I've done it a handful of times and it's, it, it, it's worked. But I love, people laugh. Yeah, yeah. It, it, so anyway. I love it. But here's, my connection to that is I'm, at first I was just trying to do stuff that wasn't really connected to my humanity. And then I start dealing with like, this is who I really am. And all of a sudden, the division that, like, I don't know if you would assume this, but most people who are at the Sixth Street uh, clubs in Austin are not showing up at the church that I'm preaching at on a consistent basis. I bet that's interesting. I bet your preaching is way better. Why would you say that? Because, uh, because I did a set at Improv the other night. Did you really? How long? How long <laughs> yeah, yeah. was it? Ten minutes. You did ten minutes. I did ten minutes. How was it? Yeah, unannounced. <laughs> right before I went on there, like, ladies and gentlemen, we have a surprise from Saturday Night Live, Kevin Nealon, who went up and, <laughs> and then I followed him. How was it? <laughs> uh, exactly what you're saying. You followed Kevin Nealon? And yeah. And then I was before Ron Funches. Um, it, 
it wasn't working until I gave up trying, because the space is loud. The architecture screaming at you, be, match the space, right? It's yeah. like, this is like, we're comedy, so be, co- and so you're like trying to fit into the space, and I just gave up partway through and was like, I only know how to do me. So I completely shifted, and then it was liftoff. Like, what, what was the subject matter that actually worked? Uh, I took 10 photos that I'd taken on my cell phone, and I blew them up into, like, poster board. You had the poster board with you? Yeah, and just tossed them, like, showed it and tossed them. And then on one of them, I was like, they're laughing, but on one of them I paused and then went, because there are these moments in space and time when everything slows down and you're no longer rushing and the inner dialogue has gotten quiet. Mm-hmm. And for a moment, you are just fully present in the experience. And even though the world's falling apart, it's not, everything's fine. And in those moments, I did like that, went full on. And in every, tr- the whole thing is about you here now, only in this moment. The, and the room just, Mm, like, like galvanized. Wait, the, you yeah. were like preaching at him then. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then the whole thing, the whole thing, went electric. Isn't that fascinating? You wait. You weren't even trying to be funny at that point. No. Did you come back and try? No, to that be... was the moment I stopped being funny. And you, you said, know, "Lose your life, you'll find it." Literally, like I've heard someone say that. Uh, like literally, give up trying to win this crowd over, and do and just what's in you. Just, just forget it. You hear it? But this is this is a. This is the second, third, fourth, and fifth layer that, I, that this takes me to. So I'll just go there. And then, and then yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's, but it's exactly, I mean, it's completely different, but it is your story. You're trying to be funny, and then you're like, but I could tell you what I'm an expert on, which is me. Yeah. And then that's actually, so you gave up being funny in order to be funny. You gave up winning in that seat. You gave up playing that game mm-hmm. in order to now win the game. You can only win the game if you refuse to play it. So you're yeah. like, I'm not going to try to be funnier than the other comedians. I'm not going to top myself. I'm not going to try to be a stand-up comedian. But I could stand up here and... You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you, it's like you gave, you gave up the rules and gave up the game only then to actually be able to play the game. Okay. Isn't that well, fascinating? Yeah. So have you done... I know you do your thing with Pete at Largo, which is... Pete a, and I have a two-man show, and then I do a, a regular show at Largo, but that's like... Uh, but that's like normal... Like, um, that's like... Um, if you've seen Everything is Spiritual... Yeah. I do, I, do, I, do, I do something on um, the evolution of flowers and aesthetics. I did something on... Last show, I did a New Exodus reading of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Egypt, Sinai, Jerusalem, Babylon... And Pete showed up high. And in his words to the crowd, I'm 10 out of 10 high right now. So I did the story of the Bible, the unfolding story of the Bible as, an under, as liberation. Mm-hmm. And then Pete did running, did the color commentary, did running commentary on it. I think we're going to release that one because it was magic. Oh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> but you've never tried to do just straight up stand up. You just happen, you're in. Uh, these- improv, improv at some level was, but. Um, Tell me what? That improv set okay. was just 10 minutes in improv, yeah. But, but before that, that, so that's new. Are you going to do it again? I don't know. They asked me back. I don't know. Huh. I, I, would only, I would only do it unannounced, off the radar, 
just quietly. Yeah. Yeah. That to me, that's the, I, I never have told anyone in my church when and where I'm doing. You have to pursue the craft and you, and the joy is in continually putting yourself in positions where you're a rookie and you're learning all over again. That's how you keep the joy. Were you nervous when you went up? Yeah. 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 When was the last time? That's important. Um, I did a software developers recently. I was a little like, whoa. And I did uh, CEOs who'd made 10 million or more the previous year, a group. So I, I try to intentionally do things. Um, and I'm, I'm most, I was at a synagogue a couple weeks ago. So I most, I'm not in churches or religious settings. I'm in settings where people like me aren't. Um, and, and that's where the joy is for me. Because that's where you have the anxiety of, like, this is different, I'm out of my element? Is that what you're saying? Uh, it's just what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying, I, I find myself that I'm grateful to have nerves, that, like, I've, I'm grateful that I have something that I care so much to do Yes. that I would have these feelings. The, the butterflies are a gift. They remind you that you're alive, mm-hmm. that you're in the game. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, you welcome them and embrace them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The problem isn't butterflies. The problem is when there are none. Exactly. Because <laughs> you want that. Yeah, yeah. It's funny. My 17-year-old son is in a bunch of bands, and one of them sold out. He's playing a sold-out show tonight in Echo Park at the Echoplex, which for him has always been like, that's like next level, and now he's playing there tonight. And I just when I just walked out of the house just a minute ago to come here to see you, he's like got like nerves. Good for him. Yeah, yeah. And just, I love it. I love it. Yeah, like the nerves, that's, that, that's part of life. It yeah. means you're living. It means you're doing something. Absolutely. It means you're trying. Absolutely. Because you could fail. And Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. There has to be a great chance that you could completely fail. Oh, yeah. And then you'll have great stories later. Yeah. Okay, speaking of great stories, that's my transition back to the book. That was a good story. That's a really good story. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm not going to release mine, so I'm glad that you might release yours. <laughs> I want to see it now. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about it. Um, <laughs> I got another question about the book. Okay. Uh, which is a great book, by the way. I feel like this is like a radio spot. And I'm here with Rob Bell talking about this great book entitled, What is the Bible? Um, you've got a line in there about Jesus. And you say he's not just a spiritual teacher. He's not just a social justice warrior activist. There's something far more elemental to him than just that, that he's announcing something's happening in the world. You remember this section? Of yeah, it? yeah. That, that, that how did Jesus read the Bible? And he's, he just keep, he keeps insisting that something new is happening through him, mm-hmm. which is just a really, and then to his people, mm-hmm. now you go do this. And he even says to them, you'll do greater things than these. Yeah, the John text, yeah. So it's not just his insistence that something, that there's a new social order that's being inaugurated in him. Mm-hmm. It's that now you go and do this. So it's something about the divine and the human in the same place. And it's as much about us as it is about him. Okay, so I'm processing this, and I've got another interview, like in eight hours, with the uh, Baha'i gentleman. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Baha'i? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the faster-growing religions, six million in the world. Uh, according to the person who's Baha'i that I'm talking to. Uh, I, I haven't checked. I haven't counted, of course. But one of the concepts in Baha'i is this progressive revelation that as a way to ensure that humans don't screw this thing up, 
every 500 to 1,000 years, a new teacher shows up, right? So a thousand, like 2,000 years ago, you get old JC. He shows up, and then uh, like 19th century Persia, uh, oh, I can't say the guy's name. Who's Zoroastrian. The, no, there, it's Bahalalal. Oh, Balthazar? Okay, keep going. Anyway, he shows up. He's in a prison in Tehran, and uh, in a lot of ways, his, his work was found. Anyway, the point is, they have the idea that there's this progressive revelation, like it, that it keeps on going. Mm-hmm. I would assume that Christianity, as I understand it, it differentiates that in that God continues to work, the word continues to be made flesh, but the revelation of Jesus would trump the other ones. How would you deal with that tension? I'm just saying, how, how would you, just do the interview for me is what I'm saying. Is it a tension that needs to be resolved? Okay. So whenever someone's like, well, how do you fix this? How do you solve this? What's the answer? I would just challenge the question, do you need to? Like, what would you gain? And the, the revelation of Jesus trumping all the others, what does that, how does that affect how you would actually live? So I would, just, I would just go to the soil. How do you walk? How do you act? How do you speak? Otherwise, you'll just endlessly, even when people talk about like, well, we just worship different gods. Is there a more abstract sentence in, in you know what I mean? Yeah. So I think a lot of times discussions about religion You'll, you'll, how would you ever answer some of these questions? What, um, what's inside of my heart that makes me want to have the answer to that question? Like, oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, well, well at some level, it's a, uh, at some level, the ego simply wants to be right. So sometimes when people talk about Jesus, especially, especially within the Christian tradition, the need for Jesus to be right has very little to do with taking seriously his call. Mm-hmm to be a disciple, and everything to do with being right, because it's secure and it feels good. It's like tribal affiliation is what it is, disguised as, you know, Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life. Well, when he says the way, he's essentially saying Isaiah, when he spoke about swords being beaten in the plowshares, Mm -hmm. he talked about a new way, I'm that way. So the I'm the way, the truth, and life is a reference to Isaiah. So if you're serious about it, that's probably less a statement about how you think your religion is better than Hindus and more about, so why do you promote militarism like you do? <laughs> hmm. You live in a nation that is 5% of the world's population and it has 43% of the world's weapons. The Pentagon a couple of years ago spent a billion dollars advertising. You live in a nation that spends your money advertising to you about its weapons. You know what I mean? Yeah. All love and respect to our brothers and sisters in the armed forces, but you are part of an industrial military economic complex that Jesus spoke directly against and actually killed him because he threatened the dominant social order, which is the social order of our day. Do you know what I mean? So when people would get like, come on now, tell me that Jesus is, I don't think Jesus is interested in you defending her. I think he comes to invite you to imagine a new world of nonviolence. So a lot of those, who's better, who's more revealed, who's not, I think Jesus would be like, are you seriously talking about this? Are you seriously arguing that, you're, that I'm, because I came so that you might have life, so that you could then help liberate the oppressed and actually create a new social, a new world order, a new, however language you could use for what he was talking about when he says the kingdom of heaven yeah. is one where people are taken care of and they're fed and clothed.
That's what I'd say. So this is the, an example of how literalism can be the lowest form of reading. And it often then presents itself as being deep and significant and taking it seriously when it's actually a wonderful way to avoid the actual things that Jesus was talking about. Now, to your Baha'i friend, should it surprise us that human beings for thousands of years have looked for new voices, from the, new words from the divine? You know what I mean? Mm. Of course, people from time to time would say, so-and-so has some special mojo. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that would, that doesn't, why would that even remotely surprise us? Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then you think about Jesus with his disciples and he's like, are they against us? No, well, then they're for us. Like he said to his disciples, everything within you wants to find out what jersey that guy's wearing because he's not wearing ours, right? Well, is he against us? Uh, no. Okay, then he's for us. Hmm. So I mean, you have Jesus to his disciples being like general general default inclusion inclusion yeah. affirmation yeah get rid as of gen- as a general rule <laughs> like Acts says get rid of the sheet you know and let them all in why this would be the arguments hmm. um why why this i don't understand there's so much more interesting compelling things to talk about it probably do good on itunes if i could say this is the podcast that determines who wins yeah that speaks to kind of the issue uh that when one wins the other loses it it creates a a better quality of life for someone in the moment and they get rewards in our culture if you give the answers you have the certainty you you're the possessor of it and for a lot of people someone needs to lose yeah so that uh, and you see it especially with progressive folks who need somebody who's backwards yeah. It's not enough. Um, and you see this on both sides. This, mm-hmm. isn't, this isn't just a like, a lot of times that you need somebody to be perceived to be backwards and fundamentalist so that you can feel good about being progressive. Because the ego loves to cling to form. It loves to cling to rank. Loves it, loves it. Loves the clinging, the grasping, yeah. the ranking. Loves it. You know who's not going to lose? Whoever gets a copy of this new book. Oh, oh. See what I did there? Yeah. <laughs> Rob, it's a pleasure, as always. Well, well done. It's always good to see you. Thank yeah. you. Cheers. And thanks for the kind words about the book. It means the world. No, I, I, I really think so. I, I think a lot of people who've been following your work for like a decade plus got to know you as a Bible teacher. And this is, in a lot of ways, reminiscent of some of the work that was maybe the original connection they had to oh, your work. Oh, got it. Does it make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I actually enjoy the Bible and I enjoy talking about it more than that. Like I've been doing this series for a year on the podcast on wisdom and I'm doing alternative wisdom mm-hmm. that I'm gonna do wisdom after wisdom. So like most days I'm you get your sermon reading on. a text. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah so like, so 25 years in, like tomorrow I'll record this sermon that 25 years in, I enjoy it more than ever. And I actually think the Bible is more compelling and convicting and fascinating and illuminating than ever yeah, for sure. Well, right on, man. Well done. All right, friends, don't forget to get a copy of Rob's new book, What is the Bible? And don't forget our sponsor, Podbean. 
The Podbean Podcast hosting offers a simple, affordable way for churches and religious organizations to share their message. With the Podbean app, sermons or teachings can be recorded and published directly from your phone. So check out Podbean. Thank you. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. We'll see you back here next time.